Hello and welcome to the People Who Read People podcast with me, Zachary Elwood. In this podcast, we talk about understanding human behavior and psychology. If you want to learn more about this podcast, go to readingpokertells.video and you'll find episode summaries and links. If you didn't already know, I'm a former professional poker player and I've written some popular books on reading poker behavior, aka Poker Tells, hence the Reading Poker Tells website. Today I'm talking to Brandon Singer, a professional video game player who goes by the name Nocturnal. His primary game is Apex Legends. His Twitch is at Nocturnal. that's O-H Nocturnal. You can find him on Twitter at O-H underscore Nocturnal. I talked to Brandon about reading and predicting behavior in Apex Legends, and then towards the end we also talk about the financials of being a professional video gamer. Coming from being a professional poker player myself and knowing that world a bit, I've been curious where the money comes from in the video game world, what the revenue streams are exactly, and how hard it is to make money at that these days. So if the behavior and psychology part of the talk doesn't interest you, maybe that part will. A little bit about the game that Brandon plays and that we'll be talking about. Apex Legends is a battle royale type game, similar to Fortnite, with two or more teams of players facing off against each other. Players can choose different characters, and those characters all have unique sets of abilities and weapons. Players communicate with their team during the game. Over time, as in Fortnite, the boundaries of the map shrink, forcing the teams to fight more as time goes on. Okay, here's my talk with Brandon Singer, aka Nocturnal. Thanks for coming on, Brandon. No problem. Before we get into talking about tells and behavior and Apex Legends and other games, I just want to start out and say it can be kind of hard when talking about these kind of really real-time, very quick action games uh, and sports, whether that's video games or sports like boxing or fencing or whatever, it can be hard to separate what are considered tells because most of the game is just so much adjusting to what the other players are doing and thinking about how they're you know acting in that moment. And also kind of similarly, it can be hard to talk about tells apart from just strategic aspects of the game because you know, for example, if you see your opponents are heading one direction and that means something strategically in the game, the strategy kind of blends together with predicting behavior. So, But having said all that, I wonder if some things come to mind for uh, Apex Legends, maybe other similar games that you play. Are there certain common patterns in the way that amateur opponents move or how they use weapons or whatever that let experienced players like you know be able to predict their, their behavior and, and give you an edge? Yeah, there's a actually surprisingly a lot of body language which is kind of funny to say because you're you're in a virtual game but there is a lot of like body languages you can say and uh you can tell when a person's very confident in their aim they get very close and up close and personal and they try to like get in your face um you can tell when there's people that are like very new to the game they have like very uh sporadic walking movements you can tell they're trying to newer to the game they don't really know how to like handle the keys and the keyboard it's a lot of tells uh not very dramatic like poker such Mm -hmm. as but you can tell like this person's confident this person relatively new you can exploit them um you can tell like when you shoot at someone and their first instinct is to press the s key and go backwards and just like walk away from the fight Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and then you can also tell like when you shoot someone and their first instinct is to heal and then push you immediately after and like close the gap and get up close personal controller players are very known for that there's a there's a team called g2 that are very stubborn on their forward pushes. And you can tell when it's them because they'll just continuously push you and push you and push you until you're at your breaking point or you kill them. So is there much practical 
benefit to knowing that like say you get in the game against some people you haven't played before and and you can tell pretty quickly that they're skilled by just how they move or whatever are there some practical implications of that like do you change your strategy based on that knowledge oh of course um if you can tell like if you can tell off the rip that someone's like more confident you'll adjust your brain to just be more uh, serious instead of just being like like very lax and carefree. So like say if you're like playing public matches and you come across someone that's obviously very skilled, you're just like, oh, I guess I have to dial it up a bit and start to take it a little bit more seriously. Hmm. Say you get a you know a quick read that somebody that a team is 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 pretty amateur. Are there certain things, certain chances you'll take, certain risks you'll take to end the game quicker against them that you mm-hmm. that you wouldn't take uh, versus more skilled players? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, usually like. Uh, more confident teams will try to take like the two v threes. Like if their if their teammate gets knocked, they won't just like immediately dash and run and try to play the rest of the game like uh, two men. So if they're just like a dasher and runners, you just chase them down and try and get them out of the lobby as fast as possible. But most like confident teams, they'll still try and stay on their ground and try and get their team up as much as, as much as fast as possible. So when I asked this question on Reddit in the Apex Legends uh, subreddit, a user named uh, Koronasuki Lifeline. He said, absolutely, yes. More than aim, more than juking and movement. The thing that most tells me I'm on my A game in Apex is when I am predicting enemy actions well. When I have those days, I feel like I just know what my opponents are doing, which way they're rotating, flanking, ducking, where they are going to pop a heal. That means healing themselves in the game. Uh, Which corner they're going to camp. That's when I feel most dominant, end quote. And I'm curious, can you relate to that in your game? Is there an aspect of being in the zone when it when it comes to you know predicting what the the other players are going to do? Yeah, there's definitely a uh, a consistent predict like predictability to certain teams, but there is just like the factors of you have to predict something's going wrong, or you just like there's a team just sitting on edge waiting for you to just cross your path, and you just they just try to you know essentially take you out of the game for free. There is a certain level to just like some teams are very concrete to their play style, but there's also just like the wildcard teams that just do whatever they want that lobby and just go with the flow of their own game. So I would say there's just about 50% of predictability and sometimes there's just a lot of wild cards. Uh, usually the lower skill teams are, they generally try to play for the win, I would like to say. They won't try to be like super confident and say, "Hey, we're going to demolish lobby." Like, no, they're out here to win the the games and try to prove themselves. But the higher tier teams are more out here to be like, "Oh, this lobby's not the best, so we're going to try and farm it and just take care of everyone." How often uh, in these games do you play players that you don't know anything about? Do you how do you get information about the other team when you don't know anything about them, and how often do you not know anything about them? Um, there's a decent lot of like a lot of time where you just don't know about teams. Uh, I would like to say that like the North American region is growing as like a player base. So there is like a lot of uh, teams that I haven't seen out of the normal like 20 teams that I usually scrim with. There isn't really much uh, researching them unless I actively would go out of their way to like watch their streams if they do stream because people play very differently differently from ranked and scrims and tournaments. So there isn't much to research other than just like knowing if this player is aggressive or not but there is a lot of new competition which i'm excited to see and there's a lot of like learning they have to do as to just meet out the expectations of the most of the pros one thing i was wondering when watching some of these apex legends videos is there a downside to not taking the game seriously is there any kind of downside to the ranking to not playing your best yes and no there's a fine line between like knowing your limits of like mentally 
So if you're just constantly pushing yourself over and over and over again, you're not like seeing those immediate results you expect yourself to, you're definitely going to burn out and not enjoy the game as much as you want to and not Mm. really like pursue to chase that dream of you just wanting to be like the best player. So if you just constantly expect the highest and the highest and the highest out of you, you have these off days and you're just not going to be mentally fit. And then if you don't know how to just say, hey, this is a day where I'm just not at my best, I just need to call it and it'll just wear on yourself as a player. But it sounds like there's not really much of a, there's not like you get um, punished much for like, you know, losing a random match or something in your yeah, ranking. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're playing a, like a, a typical just public match, no no strings on the line, you're just casually having fun, just practicing your gun skill. Like you shouldn't get mad at yourself for just like, oh, you lost a fight. Just like, oh, well, you lost your fight. Could I have done better? Probably, but I'm just having a fun time. Apex Legends has different types of characters that you can choose, like the Pathfinder character, and these characters have different skill sets, different weapons and such. Is there information that you can get from the characters that a team has chosen? It's There's like a lot of characters now, so a lot of playstyles are very unique to just teams. But mm-hmm. you can tell like if a character has a recon class where they can scan beacons, they're generally going to try and play position and rotate a little bit faster. You can also tell if like a team has Octane Bloodhound, they're generally going to play more aggressive and try to third party and take advantage of fights. You can also tell, say, someone has Valkyrie Caustic, they're going to try and play for endgame, endgame circles, or rotate really fast and just hold position and try and win games as fast as possible. A lot of teams play to their play style and team, team synergy. Some people play very aggressive, go for 10 kills, 20 kills, and try to just win games with just massive points. And then some people will take the more consistent route of, hey, we can rotate faster than anyone else, get an endgame spot, control the endgame spot, and see if we can just win every single game. And what does rotate mean? Rotate means just like leaving their landing spot and going to endgame positions where they can try to win the game from. Are there sometimes tells that a team may not be communicating very well, that they're not aligned, pretty disorganized? Mm -hmm. It's a lot about like their footwork. Um, Are they cohesively playing together? Are they like in line? Like usually there's a scouter character in the front and then the, the two back lines are usually playing together. Um, if they're just like three men walking around, not really surveying their surroundings, you can tend to tell that they're very um, out of the loop. How much does liking your teammates play a role? Can you do just as well with teammates that you've got good chemistry with as with teammates you don't know or even actively dislike? <laughs> uh, that's a spicy topic. But um, <laughs> as someone who's like played with people that he doesn't like and just dealt with because you had to, you generally just don't play your best. You, If you don't like the people you're playing with, you're generally not going to play your best, want to play the best, or even just like care about the game you're playing with currently. Um, there's You have to enjoy the work, enjoy the surroundings to even just want to perform your best. If you can't do that or even have that, I don't think you feasibly will be the best. There's only so much that you can like brute force and there's just the breaking point. Yeah, it's it's more about the, the mood and motivation than it is about the, the technical... Uh abilities yeah you can have like three of the best players in the game but if they all hate each other they're not going to do anything (laughs) yeah they just want to get out of there uh is there some secret knowledge in apex legends you know or or do you feel like it's it's mostly just a game of uh, of planning and and how well you fight one-on-one and such or do you feel like there are some you know tricks you learn in terms of like oh i've got this little secret thing 
that I do that not many people know if, if that question makes sense. Uh, yeah, it does make sense. There's a, there's like small like tidbits you can do that like will help you get an advantage. Like, so like a lot of like trapping teams where you just know where they rotate and you just like try to take them out. Um, but as for the game itself, I think it's mostly just being able to adapt to any scenario matters over anything you can imagine in the game. As long as you can adapt and keep your mind in a set or where you just you want to, to play the game out, you want to win, you will do better than most teams that have like these set plays and just don't have many reactions. Um, as long as you can adapt, that is the most important thing, I think, to Apex. Do you feel like in, because uh, I know in poker, you know, in, in a lot of games and a lot of sports, you can have the, you know, when you first start out, you kind of have that um, kind of arrogance, you know, thinking like, well, I don't need any help. And then later you realize like, well, actually I could use a lot of help and I should have gotten help sooner. Does it, does that come up in, in gaming? Yeah, honestly, I, I think it's uh, always important to have someone like that can review their review, your mistakes and have like a third person who is just like not involved with the emotions attached to the game and can just like say, Hey, you guys messed up in this part. Try to be next game going forward. Look to do this better. And just essentially find your weak, spot, weak spots. Um, unfortunately, they can't do this in game and they have to do it in between games. So it's kind of hard to just like in the moment, think of what your coach said and try to implement it. Does Tilt play a role in these games? People getting... Oh, of course. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. the role that plays? Tilt hits in every video game. You know, it's, it's everyone's trying to be the best and everyone wants to be the best. And um if you get frustrated it's going to show in your gameplay a lot of like uh you're gonna get confused in game you're gonna get lost uh not listening to your teammates kind of do on your all your own things um i've every game i've played professionally semi-professionally even casually or just like a, a ranked player has people at tilt and how they handle it um some games handle it in a very like toxic manner and they'll project and just essentially just berate anyone that comes in contact with them with just very vulgar and comments and stuff like that some people will just shut down and just say i i fucked up it's my fault and i'm just no longer going to talk and try and quote unquote like fix myself mid-game but it's just just not possible but yeah there's a lot of factors in tilt and video games that just comes from people not really just having like the best mentals can you get a sense sometimes when you're playing opponents and they Go on tilt. Can you tell like, oh, they're they're kind of losing their. Oh yeah, yeah. You can tell usually like, say in like a tournament, for example, like the the team that you expect to be really good is just you know bottom fifteen of the, the leaderboard, and they're not really playing the best. You can generally think that they're going to be more frantic to do risky plays and get like higher point games to catch up to the, the lead. It's very easy to do in tournaments, more so to do in like public matches and ranked matches because you don't really know the players you're playing against. But if you know the players, it's very easy to tell when they're tilted. A lot of them would be like, oh, I don't want to scrim anymore because the lobbies are just bad. And it's just like, I want to leave early. Like, I've had moments where I'm just like, I want to leave early. I asked, like, um, I had a moment where we were in a tournament. It wasn't really a tournament, but like, it was like a show match. And we were having really bad games. And I was like, all right, I have a really bad headache. I'm not feeling well. My mental is just like in the toilet. I asked an anim- uh, management, it's like, yo, can can we just leave? And they're like, okay, we'll find a sub for you and you guys can leave. And and it's crazy to me, like Reddit explicitly was like, they, they're unprofessional. They don't deserve their jobs. But it's just like, this is a show match. Like I'm tilted. I don't feel well. My mental's in the trash. But they're just like, no, you should lose your job and you shouldn't be a professional player. It's just like people in the 
video games just don't understand how important your mental is. You only you only essentially have like one body, one mind. You should tra- cherish it as much as physically possible. So this is something obviously you don't have to. Uh, we don't have to talk about much or as much as you're willing to talk about. But I'm I'm curious: is playing video games something you're doing as a full time job, or if if not, how much of your time does it take up? I would say it's my full time job. With obviously like streaming as a back part. I've always wanted to just be a professional player. That's all I've ever cared about. I've never really cared about like entertaining people. So the pro-life has generally taken my my nine to five and I've strayed away from doing the ridiculous grinding hours like most people do. Um, I think valuing your own time wisely is more important than just sitting there, sitting down and head down grinding 18 hours or whatever the ridiculous people do and being reasonable with yourself. The question a lot of people have about this area is uh, how the financials work. Like, say you want to be a, you know, a professional player. Like, where where does the income come from exactly? Um, most of the time, it's a incorporated salary with signing to professional org- organizations. Um, some of them have a. I've heard very fringe cases where you have to work X amount of hours to get paid. Um, it's not just all, like a raw monthly salary. Um, some. Some orgs offer renegotiations where if you do well in XYZ tournaments and certain quality tournaments, you can get pay raises. Um, If you stream better, grow your stream, grow your brand more, you can also ask for more from certain organizations. Uh, I know some of them don't really have the money to support, you know, rapid growth. But a lot of the time there is uh, when when you grow as a player, you can generally ask for more. And so your salary is paid by liquid. Mm -hmm. Is that is that right? Correct. And, and what did they get out of the, uh, you know, what's what's their angle in, in sponsoring players? Uh, their angle is just to grow them as players, see them grow and just gain publicity from them. And also they generally, most orgs will take a, a cut from tournament winnings. But really their end goal is just to grow the best players, have the best players and to show off the best players. And generally, if you have bigger players and players that win more, you can garner more partnerships. Like we have Marvel, Verizon, um, for just the raw legacy of just having award-winning teams, ordering players, and just big faces. If you see your favorite player with this apparel from Liquid, they're going to be, oh, we're going to buy this. And it's just generally, you know, we get publicity from you, and we also get a cut of your prize earnings. I would, li- I would like to say, like, a lot of orgs generally do not profit from 99% of their players. But if their players grow to be big enough, they can earn so much publicity from them that they can make a lot of money off them. So would you say it's similar to, I don't know if you heard the concept in poker of like a stable of, of players that you put together a team that you are basically staking and you take a cut of their, of their winnings. Is, is it the same concept? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I'm curious with the increase in, in popularity of gaming these days, has that made the dream of being a professional gamer harder or or easier because it seems like it could go either way, right? Like with with more people competing, it can uh, become harder. But at the same time, there's there's a lot more opportunities and more competitions and things like that. Yeah, it's definitely a like harder and easier because obviously, if it gets more popular, there's more orgs that want to like invest in players. There's more uh, traction. There's more funding. Um, but it's also you have to be the outstanding player. You have to be the one in a million to get picked up by this org. And a lot of uh, like pickups or people that get picked up by orgs are not generally just because they're they're 
great players. It's just because they have so much uh, brand behind them. They have a lot of following. They have a lot of stream numbers. They have a lot of return and interest. Just because you're like the best player in the world, but if you have nothing to like return for the org, they sometimes will just not invest in you. It's it's a very very hard world to just get picked up and get noticed. It's a very right time, right person kind of situation. Yeah, I would think it must be. I mean, there's just you know, obviously, so many, so many people playing these days. Uh, and is can you make money from the the Twitch streaming too, directly from the Twitch streaming? And and what does that look like? Is that yeah, how much? How many followers would you have to have to to make that a decent chunk of money? It's very. <sighs> Twitch is a very weird, weird world because like you could have five concurrent views and have some random person who just likes giving you money just because he likes giving you money. But I think like to make a consistent income of just like living, I think you need concurrent like 500 viewers and just like generous people in your chat. It's it's such a hard world to just say that. I think if you have a thousand viewers consistently every single day, you are generally well off to just live a happy life. Not like for the rest of your life, but like day by day you should be good are there uh, other opportunities that i didn't mention you've got the the organizations that can you know pay your salary and then you've got the twitch streaming are there other major sources of what to look for uh, in that in that world youtube partnerships like sponsorships uh like people telling you to play their video game for money on stream mm. youtube videos get you ad revenue it's it's all just partnerships and content have you done any of those have, have people asked you to to play video games for money yeah i've been told to play video games for money but it wasn't like something that i'm a person where it's just like if i don't enjoy the product i'm not going to sell it out i'm not going to be interested in it and it wasn't really even if i was going to break that moral code it'd have to be like a decent amount of money for me to even remotely like interest to just be like oh this game's so great i love it but it's just like no i'm not going to do this for 500 dollars. right right it seems like maybe there's a middle path of like saying well i'll play it but i won't act enthusiastic about yeah, it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh so anything else come to mind about um, you know reading behavior that we that we didn't cover anything obvious that we that we missed? Not really. I think we pretty much nailed it on the head. Well, thanks for coming on, Brown. This was an awesome talk. No problem. I appreciate it. It was a fun talk. This has been the People Who Read People podcast with me, Zach Elwood. This has been an interview of Brandon Singer, aka Nocturnal, and you can find him on Twitch at oh Nocturnal o Nocturnal. One thing I realized I didn't get to was the importance of how you communicate with your team. I was reading some articles about the importance of efficient and clear language and how that can make or break a team. So I may try to interview another gamer in the near future to talk about some of those ideas. If you like games or are just interested in understanding people better, you might like checking out my books and videos on poker tells. Probably the one that applies most generally to non-poker stuff is my book, Verbal Poker Tells, which talks about common verbal language patterns that indicate certain things in poker. I've had people from many professions tell me my poker tells work has helped them read and understand people better in their work, and that includes professions like doctors and lawyers. You can learn more about my work at readingpokertells.com. Okay, thanks for listening. Music by Small Skies.